Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Three, two, one, go. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives. And this is the Knife Perspective, episode number 040. Your rights, my rights, knife rights. In just a little bit, we're going to be talking to Doug Ritter from Knife Rights. But first, we're going to talk to Kyle. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? Oh, pretty good. It's uh, It's been great here the last few weeks, uh, winding down at my job and getting ready to amp up for the, the full-time knife maker thing. And Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so looking forward to spending some more time with my boys for uh, taking them to kindergarten, doing a half-day kindergarten thing. And they still think I'm cool, and that's not going to last for a whole lot longer. So Enjoy it while you can, buddy. Yep. How are you doing, Dan? Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm actually hurting a little bit. Hurting? Yeah, I combined uh, pleasure and business with a little trip down to the coast the last two days. And on the way back, I had to stop at one of the two greatest barbecue places ever known to man, Swig and Swine. And um, <laughs> you know the pork rinds are good when they're still popping when they set them on the table? Okay. And they had to give me a big pile of pork rinds and pimento cheese. And it would be rude not to finish it. So, of course, I did because I'm not rude. And then chase that with mac and cheese, Brunswick stew, and pulled pork. Nice. And their nearly famous coconut cream pie. Yeah. It turns out I might have the appetite of a 20-year-old, but I do not have the digestive system of a 20-year-old. <laughs> when, when did you eat that? Today or? Uh, like noon. <laughs> And then we climbed in, in Beth's new little sports car and drove home Yeah, oh. with, with that race tuned, really bumpy suspension. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. You know, I actually, I had to sit her down. So she hit an age that she would consider kind of midlife-ish. She dyed her hair purple. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> she bought a Porsche. Awesome. Love it. I mean, I'm going to love it when she allows me to drive it, but it's cool. And I sat her down. I said, you know, you know, baby, you can get two out of three, right? What do you mean? You dyed your hair. That's one. That's awesome. You bought a sports car. That's two. That's awesome. You can't have the boyfriend. And she said, can I return the car? <laughs> I thought she was going to say, can I change my hair color? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Cool. Um, so premium sponsors for the the podcast want to give them a shout out blade show we uh i managed to uh do some work on some people and uh we got some two great codes for you so the first one i'd like to talk to you about is broadbeck ironworks they're a premium sponsor for the podcast they're doing uh great things over there in the last podcast i just got a shipment notice from broadbeck by the way oh yeah i'm kind of excited yeah what'd you get um i'm starting i'm baby stepping 
because I just got the Wilmot grinder, but at Blade Show, I saw that, that tool rest that they did, the sliding tool rest, the really wide deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I might go to, to hell or be struck by lightning, but I'm putting the Broadback tool rest on my new Wilmot grinder. Oh, nice. Did you go with the uh, the stainless or the mild steel? Come on now. What steel <laughs> do I work in? Am I a man of half measures? Yeah, you need to get one of those uh, 304 grinders, man. I got the the 304 stainless steel plate grinder, and it has been great so far. Vince called me up and uh, made sure it was all working correct, and I liked everything. Ben, over there, too, I when I got my VFD, it didn't have some liquid-tight connectors, and he was right on the money, and uh, their motor guy ships stuff out super fast. I got it from the uh, northeast to Chicago in less than two days. And I don't know how much he's paying USPS. I got to, I got to start uh, paying somebody there. I think I played with theirs at, uh, at blade show and I might, I mean, I got room for a third grinder and if you got room, then you need to use it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. But they, uh, they're given a coupon code. uh, So put in KP 10. So you don't even have to spell anything. Just KP for knife perspective 10. And that gets you 10% off all grinders and grinder accessories so that gives you uh, 10% off. What the hell? I just ordered my accessories. <laughs> Man, we need to talk to our marketing department. They really let me down on this. <laughs> you knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it doesn't apply to belts and some of the adhesives and stuff that they sell. But if you guys start using the code uh, a bunch, uh, Vince said they might extend that over. So Make sure you show them some love and make sure you put KP10 in there for 10% off all grinders and grinder accessories. Do us all a favor, buy stuff at a discounted price so we can get more stuff discounted. Yep. I mean, that, that seems pretty straightforward. To me. Yeah. And then, and then once you have the grinder, uh, I worked on the guys at Phoenix Abrasives next to me that was at the table right next to me. Uh, they're going to do, they're going to match the same thing that Broadbeck did for all of our listeners. So you use the same discount code KP10 and that'll get you 10% off all of the abrasives that they sell. So when you're buying a bunch, that can be a significant savings. And the, the purple belts, they do cut pretty aggressively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to get you to get some more of those. Um, I, I was, I was pleased because they talked about lining up the cut and that that's a little tricky, but getting that symmetrical helps the tracking and i noticed that their belts track really well mm-hmm. yeah they make they make some great belts and they also sell rhino wet uh, i use that a bunch too uh the nine by 11 sheets uh for hand sanding handles and then on my disc grinder and everything so they're great make sure you talk to sean and greg over there and at uh, phoenix abrasives uh on their website when you click on their menu button don't don't just go go crazy and click products right at the top you got to go to the bottom of the menu and click shop. And then that takes you to their online store. Um, so I've, I, I get a little excited. Yeah. Lots of people get excited. I and get then a little they, clickety, clickety. Lots of people get excited and they message me and they say, Hey, I can't get onto the online store to order stuff. And uh, so when talking to Greg, he said, they're fixing it. They're going to redo the website and stuff here soon. So uh, it'll all be ready. I need a <laughs> here button. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Old Town Cutlery carries both Dogwood Custom Knives and K.H. Daily Knives. They have a really cool brick and mortar, but they also have an online. Uh, the Knife Center has still got 
They have a shipment coming sh very shortly of dogwood knives. The knife house in Phoenix and Arizona are carrying dogwoods. And uh, the cook station, which is working on their online presence, is uh, you can get dogwoods there as well. Very cool. How'd I do? Good. Like, it's new to me. I kind of stumbled through it. I feel like my rhythm was off. No, you seem to be pretty flowy there. Good job, right. man. It's the vodka. It helps. <laughs> so, so for shout outs, uh, not really a shout out, but a funny story. So I mentioned earlier about the Chicago Auto Show uh, that I went to. Uh, and in the back, there was uh, a bunch of the the tables of people selling stuff and everything back there. And uh, I had my Cage Daily shirt on, Cage Daily Knives shirt, uh, as I was walking around the show. Because you got to fly your color. Yeah. And uh, the the Cutco guy, as I was kind of like walking by and looking at their their table, he goes, uh, I have a question. Uh, would you like to to run your own business? And uh, I go, I go, um, I'm getting, no, I've tried that. It's <laughs> I go, I'm getting ready to, uh, to start running my own business soon. He goes, Oh, that's really cool. Uh, have you heard of Cutco products before? And I said, yeah, I'm extremely familiar with Cutco products. And he goes, well, that's great. We're, we're looking for people to, to help out with, uh, promoting the brand. And I go, I, multi -level. I, I mean, you, you start in at the bottom, but you can work your way up. And very shortly you have idiots working for you that are very much like you that's working for. And then, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm starting my own business in like, um, in the, a little over a month and, uh, I don't think it's going to fit in really well. He goes, do you mind me asking what your, what business you are? And I like point at my shirt and I'm like, I'm making custom knives. And he goes, Oh, <laughs> and then he could, and then he's like it's like well i guess we're done here <laughs> so that was and just like that my sale closed <laughs> but not in a good way yeah so i i share shared that with a few people but most most knife people are the only ones that actually find it actually funny so you know you're in the family you're in the circle of trust here we all appreciate the humor yeah that was a pretty good one uh, so you have a really worthy uh, shout out for the next one. Yeah, um, I will put uh, I'll make sure the links get in the notes. But uh, KJ over at Thunder Horse Knives has really stepped up. She's having a waffle. It sounds like raffle, but it's not. It's a waffle. Some people work with me here. Um, and it is help to help out John. And we're letting the dyslexic kid read people's names. So I'm just going to spell it. Y'all can figure out the pronunciation. Uh, C-O-H-E-A. Um, he is dealing with some pretty heavy family issues. He, he had already taken an early retirement to help take care of his wife. And their very young son got uh, diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. So quite a few really phenomenal makers have donated knives uh, for a waffle. Be honest, it is just a very legitimate reason. Donate a couple of bucks. Um, anything you can donate, they appreciate. The tickets are $25 increments. I'll put the link in the show notes. But KJ has been, she's running her own company and got her own life and put everything on hold to put this together to, to help out a good person that is going through what probably is the most frightening thing for any of us. I mean, I can take anything, but as soon as a kid is involved, I mean, that's, that's life changing. 
So guys, take a minute. I hate to sound like a, an infomercial at one o'clock in the morning, but anything y'all can do, you know, a dollar or two here would would really help out a very deserving thing. Yep. Yeah, we'll make sure to have the the link to the to where you can to get to where you need to be online. It's it's a GoFundMe. Um and again, I'll uh my IT department, meaning my teenager, has explained to me how this works and I'll have the link in the show notes. <laughs> Alrighty. Guild watch. Yeah, the Guild Watch and Knife Show Watch. Um, so if you guys have knife shows that you know in your area, uh, make sure you send us the information. We'd love to get them on the show for this segment. We had the guys, uh, Jess and Jeb, on yes, or last episode for the Midwest Knife Makers Guild Hammerin that's in August uh, 20th through 22nd in Mankato, Minnesota. Lots and lots of really good makers that are going to be for that Hammerin. So make sure you check out that if you're in the the Midwest area. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it uh, with the boys starting this year, kindergarten. Um, but hopefully, hopefully I can definitely make a, a guild meeting here sometime. I sound like a broken record with that one, but want to make it up there to a guild meeting soon. And uh, anybody that actually has kids will understand. <laughs> uh, yeah. But so the Louisiana knife maker or knife show also uh, Joe D's messaged me about that. Uh, there's another guy, uh, STP something on Instagram. Uh, he, I should have had this up. If you can at all help support these guys, these are, they're one of the guilds that has come up under the Georgia model. It's a really phenomenal teaching model. And if, if y'all are anywhere near and can take a few hours, go help support these guys. Yeah. It is a very worthy cause. Yeah, so this is so STP Knives is the Instagram uh that's been that I've seen the most uh stuff. I've I've uh posted a couple of in our stories about it. Uh, I'm not sure what the guy that actually is running that one's name is, but um yeah, definitely check them out. They're gonna be in Lafayette, uh Louisiana. Uh and it's September eleventh from nine AM to five PM. Uh and I've been told the place is called the Hall. And it's at 407 East Gloria Switch Road. And that'll all be in the, the show notes so you don't have to try to run that down or write that down while you're driving or whatever. In the, and uh, the one thing that I thought was super cool with this knife show is it is free admission to all the buyers. So I believe there's still some. As long as you buy something, it's free. <laughs> uh, you, don't have, you don't have to buy anything, but it's strongly encouraged. I don't know why you'd go to a knife show and not buy anything. But they said they still had a few table spots. I know STP knives had some stuff there. Uh, so definitely uh, follow them and uh, check it out. I'm not sure how much the tables and stuff are, but I, I can't, I don't think they're that expensive. So definitely check them out. I'm not going to lie. That's kind of my old stomping grounds. And I've been a- aching for some etouffee. Okay. So I just might justify a road trip. All right. How, about how far is that for you? Um, well, in my younger days, that was, um, leave Atlanta at five and roll in with plenty of time to make it to Fort, uh, formation at five, at, uh, five o'clock in the morning. Okay. Now I think that's going to be more like I'll get in late in the afternoon, go to the hotel, take a nap and be there in the morning. 
<laughs> All righty. Cool. South Carolina uh, Custom Knife Makers Guild. Arguably the finest guild in all the world um, <laughs> is looking at an August meeting in uh, Charleston. All right. Uh, that may or may not have been one of the reasons I was down on the coast. Uh, please check Facebook for the dates. We're looking at a couple of different places and trying to get the, the dates confirmed. We're, we're looking at middle of August for that. Sounds good. So yeah, definitely check, definitely check those out. If you're anywhere in the, uh, the Midwest or apparently the, the Southeast. If you're within the tri-state region, it definitely is worth checking out. Yep. Um, Tonight, we're going to be talking with Doug Ritter. He is the founder and grand poobah of Knife Rights, arguably the most important organization in the knife industry today. Change my mind. I dare you. How are you doing tonight, Doug? I'm doing great. Nice to see you, Dan, Kyle. Yeah. It's always a pleasure uh, after you guys sort of got me on that first one. (laughs) Doug, if I told you you were the first guest we ever had, you wouldn't show up. Uh, You're probably right. (laughs) You work with politicians? Come on now. Oh, please don't compare yourself. (laughs) Please don't compare yourself to politicians. So, you know, obviously we have friends that are politicians or we wouldn't be able to get things done, but uh, they are a different breed, for sure. Obviously, we were a good bet. I don't know if it was you or if it was us, but either way, here we are, 35 shows later, still going strong, having you back on. Congratulations. Yeah, we've tripled our audience. We're up to me, Kyle's wife, and my aunt. My wife doesn't listen. Uh, we, we, doubled her. we doubled our listeners. But yeah, we, we do have a pretty good uh, selection of people Uh Get, getting lots of messages and stuff through uh, through Instagram and stuff. It's great to see you guys liking the podcast. Look, growing something like you guys are growing and like we grew uh, knife rights is um, it's a really good feeling. You know, you start out with zip and you start out with people telling you you're, you're crazy and you start out with people saying you can't be done mm-hmm. and then you go ahead and do it. I mean, that that's a that we're we're celebrating the 15th anniversary of the wall street journal article that uh <laughs> was what pissed me off and and got me to start knife rights trust me when we start when i started knife rights just about everyone told me i was nuts um so july 6th uh, so we we are now celebrating the 15th year anniversary and as i understand it it really was in response to knife hysteria that there was an article that you had just decided that was that was one step too far so so july 25th 2006 the wall street journal ran a a main page article titled how new deadly pocket knives became a one billion dollar business and it was terrible i mean filled with distortions, misrepresentations, innuendo, outright lies, cherry-picked quotes, all about these evil, quote, tactical knives, end quote. And and what were some of these these evil, dangerous tactical knives that they were referring to? Well, they, talk, they talked about a lot of people that were early in the industry, uh, 
sort of got things going. But but what was ironic is that their choice of a tactical knife, which which had a one hand opening locking blade, was a Buck Metro. Uh, now many people may not remember the Buck Metro, but it was a little keychain knife and bottle opener, cap lifter, um, with a one and one quarter inch blade. But it there was one hand opening and it did lock open. So it was an evil tactical knife, which which just tells you how ludicrous this was. I mean, this was as bad as any terrible article that you've read about evil uh, assault rifles or that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, we, today we would call it fake news. This writer had a history of writing these kind of articles. Um, it should have been an embarrassment to the Wall Street Journal, but, uh, but every time someone from the Wall Street Journal calls me up, one of their stringers to do an article on, uh, on knife rights, I, I suggest they go look at that issue. And that's unfortunately <laughs> the end of the article. Uh, well, that, that but, is much more polite than Duke Kaboom. Uh, definitely. Um, I, I, I've learned to be a little bit more polite. You, you need to do that when you're dealing with, with politicians and politics. But, you know, it, it, it is not so far-fetched for him to have believed that he could have stirred up a move, movement that would ban tactical knives. Uh, those of you who may be familiar with the history of the Federal Switchblade Act and all the switchblade bans that were enacted in the 1950s, you know, a lot of that had to do with Hollywood and that sort of thing. But the, the, the genesis of that entire movement was a terrible article in the Women's Home Companion called The Toy That Kills. And it was all, I mean, the same cessationalist, ridiculous article about these evil switchblades. Because of that, it was forever before we got automatic, automatic knives here in the States. Well, um, you know, what, what? automatic knives were pretty popular back then. And even after the 50s, they remained legal in over half the states uh, to one degree or another. Now, obviously, we've made a difference repealing 16 of the bans that were passed then. Um, but all of that started with an article in a magazine. That was the genesis of it all. So, so it's not so far-fetched for him to have believed he could do the same thing. Well, instead, he pissed me off, and I realized I realized that you know there there was no proactive, aggressive organization trying to roll back these bad knife laws that we had gained either most of them immediately after the Civil War or in the 1950s. I mean, there was no NRA for knife owners, and uh, that's part of what makes. Knife rights kind of distinctive. You took a different approach than other organizations. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we're, we are very aggressive. As I understand it, you're, yes, you're very aggressive, which is different, but you also took the approach of Second Amendment protection. And that was not something anybody else was willing to take. Or am I, am I confused? No, not at all. I mean, if you look at our logo, uh, it says a sharper future on top, 
then knife rights, then essential tools and essential rights. We are undeniably a Second Amendment organization. If you go on our website, you can read uh, a really great article about knives in the Second Amendment that was in a law review a few years ago, uh, done by a number of highly respected Second Amendment scholars. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, we're the only Second Amendment organization that gets support from the other side of the aisle. Uh, the vast majority of our bills pass with bipartisan support, many of them with very large bipartisan majorities. And in today's world, that's pretty much unheard of. That is, especially for a Second Amendment organization. And we have been able to successfully uh, bridge the gap because, you know, for, for the other side, if you will, it is a criminal justice reform issue. Um, because it's their constituents that are being arrested for simply carrying a tool. Yeah. Because let's face it, you know, 99.99% of the time, it's just a tool. Mm. You know, every once in a while, it may use be used as an arm to protect yourself or your family. It may be a defensive tool. But most of the time, it's a tool. Um, and so we have this, this dual identity, if you will, you know, depending upon who we're talking to. You know, it's not that any of these folks on the other side of the aisle don't know that um, we're a Second Amendment organization, but we have found some common ground that, I mean, we, we have NRA F-rated legislators who sponsor some of our bills, and we've been very successful at that. But the Second Amendment is, I mean, at the core, we're a Second Amendment organization. You know, just just last week, we were an amici on a brief to the Supreme Court in the current Second Amendment lawsuit, which is the, the first case the Supreme Court has heard on the Second Amendment in like 12 years um, since McDonald. That, and, 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 and we submitted an amicus brief because this is uh, an essential right. I mean, it's a human right to defend yourself, to be able to carry a knife. And you're not new to the Supreme Court. Y'all have, uh, have written briefs how many times? Well, no. We, we, you know, so we, we have had one case go to the Supreme Court. That was our, our case against New York City and their gravity knife enforcement. Uh, that was nine and a, half, a nine and a half year battle. I mean, so we don't give up. Um, <laughs> You know, they were arresting literally tens of thousands of people every year for carrying common pocket knives and calling them gravity knives. We went to federal court uh, as a civil rights lawsuit, went through two runs at the Court of Appeals. Uh, we actually had a trial where I and my uh, my attorney, Dan Schmutter, demonstrated uh flipping knives open and actual real honest to God gravity knives in a federal courtroom, uh, which I'm pretty sure has never been done before and probably will never be done again. And uh, we, we managed to get bills passed in the New York legislature. Uh, I think the first time we passed it, there were 12 no votes in the legislature. It was vetoed by Governor Cuomo. Uh, the second time we passed it, there were like, six no votes, and he vetoed it. So the third time we passed it uh, with one no vote, 
one day. Uh, by that time, our case was on appeal to the Supreme Court. It was scheduled for conference. Conference is when they decide to take a case or not. And we were pretty certain that if they took our case, um, that we would win because the, the, the legal issues were pretty straightforward. We'd just been sort of screwed around by, by the uh, Second Circuit. And uh, working to avoid actually addressing the, the issues in the case. With one week to go before the conference, Governor Cuomo signed our bill to get rid of New York State's gravity knife law. So you can legally carry a gravity knife in New York. Um, uh, that was nine and a half year battle and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But there were also tens of thousands, I think altogether over that period of time, it was like nine and a half years, 70,000 people had been arrested and prosecuted. And, and and this wasn't just a traffic ticket. I mean, this was a misdemeanor that if you had a prior, it was a felony. They would prosecute you for a felony. People literally went up the river for five, six, seven years for carrying a pocket knife. Yeah, that's crazy. That they had no intention of ever using it. So that was that was a huge battle for us. So yeah, we've been to the we we've been there. In, in some ways, it would have been nice to beat New York City and, mm -hmm. and Cyrus Vance Jr. and Dan Rather Jr., who, who was in charge of this thing, uh, the attack of the juniors, if you will. It, it would have been nice to beat him at the Supreme Court. But by the same token, it, it's nice to win. And, and that's what really counts. KO or tap out, either way, you beat him. Yeah. Look, we uh, we've learned that Part of a secret of success, if you're going to do legislative work, is showing up and keep showing up. Uh, we've we've passed five bills in Texas, session after session after session, slowly removing Texas's terrible knife laws. You know, Texas ain't nearly as Texas as a lot of people think Texas is. It's more Austin than people think. Yeah, well... Um, we just we just keep battling until we win. Well, because you, you talk about uh, five bills in Texas, y'all have got. You're responsible for what? Thirty four bills nationwide. Thirty four bills enacted in twenty three states since two thousand and ten, and you know a number of court victories where we were instrumental in either being a amici or by actually helping fund the actual case. So, yeah, we're, we're getting it done for America's knife owners and knife makers. The, the, the sharper future that I promised um, when we first started Knife Rights in 2006, uh, it's, I, 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 I might have been optimistic then, but I've got proof. We could do that. What, are, uh, what, have been some, what have been some of your favorite victories, though? Well, obviously, New York is at the top of the list because that was huge. Um, getting uh, Switzerland's legal in Illinois was huge. You're welcome, Kyle. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> you're, you're quite welcome. You know, Texas has been rewarding uh, in the sense that we've proved that the incremental process works, that, you know, some places 
you know, Kansas was an Alaska were areas where we went in, we got everything done we wanted to do in, in, in one session. But typically, you know, we'll get part of it done and we'll come back and get more done. It's not unusual for it to take multiple years. Uh, we just got a bill passed in Ohio that was six years in the making. And we're back there again this year. My dad used to say, how does an ant eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we find that works well for us. I think one of the other, one of the other victories, which was litigated, not legislative, was in California, where the attorney general at that time, now our vice president, um, was trying to convict a uh, young man who was carrying a Swiss army knife, uh, open in his pocket, no idea why, irrelevant, but a, a lock blade knife open in your pocket in California is considered an illegal concealed dagger. And she was trying to say that a switch blade, that a Swiss army knife was a lock blade knife and that this young man should be convicted. Now, you don't take a case to the California Supreme Court unless the attorney general has actually approved it. Yeah. So that tells you something about our current vice president and how she viewed these things. Uh, we submitted a uh, amicus brief. The gentleman and the, the Supreme Court asked us to have an attorney present before them. That is extraordinarily unusual. Uh, amici are almost never, or amici are, are almost never invited he, to present. He was trying to, he was making a point, it sounds like. Um, and, and it worked. I mean, unanimously. Um, we won that case and the guy, uh, can go on with his life after yeah. three years of being prosecuted or some might say persecuted, uh, by the attorney general in California. That was a really great feeling. Look, wi winning is great. It helps get getting these bills passed, uh, rolling back these terribly rational laws, winning in court. It helps make all the rest of the crap <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Well, especially when you're, you can see big picture of this just isn't fair. But in situations like that, you were personally involved in somebody's life. I mean, that, he may not have died in that moment, but that was a life or death situation. Because after you go down for a BS felony to do 10 years of time, that has a little effect on your life. Oh, and, th and that's one of the reasons that New York was so important. You know, New York City, even if, you know, even if you're arrested and you're prosecuted and you get off with a fine and paying an attorney, for the majority of people, that is a terrible, life-changing circumstance. And it and ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. Um, you lose faith in the justice system because you're being, you know, prosecuted for some BS reason. It's all around a bad thing. And when, when, you're, when you're doing that to upwards of 10,000 people a year, um, that's not good. That's not good. It's poisoning so, the well. Yeah, we, 
you know, we take a lot of pride in making a difference in people's lives, whether it's because we prevent them from being arrested, we help them get off on a charge on occasion, we make it legal for knife makers to make and sell their products. I'm, I'm a big fan of that, personally. I hope so. Yeah, you've been a very generous supporter of knife rights for years, and I appreciate that because, you know, one of the problems is you can have all the passion in the world, but having a full-time lobbyist and running around to legislators and going to court, um, it takes a lot of money. Well, I was I, I was going to ask, how does one man do all this? But you've already told me that there were 70,000 or 7,000 or 70,000 people helping you uh, in New York. Well, there were 70,000 people arrested. Oh, 70,000 people they're, arrested. They're, I'm sorry. They're, they're not... I, if I had 70,000 people helping me and, and donating, life would be much simpler. Um, so, you know, we, so we what get does support. it take to do, to, to do all of this? Like, so, so first of all, understand that Knife Rights is basically three people. I mean, it's myself, my wife, Sue, who you know, um, and our lobbyist, Todd Rather. Um, we're not a huge organization. Uh, the only one that gets paid is Todd. I mean, Sue and I have been doing this for since 2006 because we're passionate about it. We don't make any money at this. You know, I make money designing and selling knives, but um, if if I didn't do that, uh, I don't think we could do this. You know, I, I, look, uh, as you're well familiar, we hold a fundraiser every year called the Ultimate Steel Spectacular. And any of the makers out there listening, uh, we could use your help. We we have a waffle, if you will. Um, oh, you're five hundred one C, aren't you? Uh, so there's a five hundred one C four, which is the membership organization Knife Rights uh, Inc., and then there's a five hundred one C three, which is Knife Rights Foundation. Knife Rights Foundation does litigation, and they do the legal blade app that we produce. Oh, then you can say the R word. You're allowed to say raffle. No, here. I'm not, because raffles are illegal. I thought they were oh. kosher if you were a, 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 no. a nonprofit. Okay, waffles for no. everybody. Waffles for everybody. It's not a raffle. It's a drawing. drawing. Uh, it's a winner's choice drawing. Um, and, and makers such as yourself and others uh, donate some beautiful knives as well as our industry partners. Um, we've, we've had, so we just completed our early bird. So that was about $28,000 worth of production knives and gear and that sort of stuff. We've got about $85,000 worth of custom knives and guns and a safari and, and that sort of stuff in our, in our main drawing. And we've just launched our tail end drawing, which is for people, the early bird is for people who donate early, but tail end is for people who donate at the end. And hopefully we have enough stuff in the tail end to encourage people to donate again, which usually works out very well. So uh, if any of your makers are listening and would like to help knife rights, we desperately need some really cool knives um, for our tail end uh, that ends in September. So we've, we've got some time. And for the listeners that aren't makers, um, Tailand is a little bit of a misnomer. They have some really phenomenal makers that have been donating. 
So rather than the $10,000 custom, you're stuck choosing the $5,000. Well, that, that depends. So right now our top prize in the main drawing, which you're in if you give, if you donate during the tail end period, is an $8,500 Alice Carter engraved Owen Wood Damascus Johnny Stout collaboration auto. That's not too shabby for what, a $20 ticket? <sighs> yeah. Uh, donate $100 and we give you a nice little sod flipper, even. Ooh. Uh, and extra chances to win. And the more you, you give, the more free chances you get. And, you know, it it is, I think, one of the most uh, extraordinary waffles out there. Um, one of the unique things we do is it's winner's choice. So the first person drawn gets a pick of everything. Second person get drawn gets their pick of everything but what the first person gets. So it, it's not just you get to win something; you get to win something you want to get. Yeah. And I like that format rather than you either got the one thing you wanted or you're done. Your chances really open up. It may not be like your number one choice, but you still got an eighty five hundred dollar knife for a twenty dollar ticket. Uh, it it's one of the one of the great parts of doing this. Uh, the bad part is begging for knives. The good part is calling people up who have won. Uh, I can't tell you the number of people who have said, I have never won anything in my life. Um, and they've obviously spent time looking at the prizes because it doesn't take them very long. To, some of them have a list. Yeah. I mean, it's like you gave away this one. I, this is the next one on my list. Um, so that that's a really great feeling. Um, when you call someone up and they won and they get a, you know, $8,000 knife or $5,000 knife or even a $500 knife or, a, you know, three or $4,000 rifle. Or or just off the top of my head, a, a $300 kitchen knife. I mean, uh, yeah, I think we have one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, um, it's a way for makers to support us. Uh, in a way that we can turn into more bucks than if they just gave us what they could afford uh, to generate as cash. Um, and you know, one of the interesting things is, so we, we, we display these knives at Blade Show. We display these knives at the NRA annual meeting, which is coming up in September. Um, we get an opportunity to educate people about custom knives. You know, many at Blade Show, they obviously know what custom knives are. At NRA, the vast majority of people that come by our booth have absolutely no idea makers even exist. Hmm. You know, they buy case knives or a Benchmade or a Hogue or a Protec, maybe, Spyderco. They don't know custom makers exist, and they come by our booth and they just start drooling practically. Yeah, like, I can win this or they're custom makers and we're able to explain to them that. Yeah. And there's probably a nice show near you. Yeah. Um, so we've gotten a lot of people who become interested in custom knives. Uh, I can think of one gentleman, older gentleman who came by our booth in, I want to say about five years ago. Uh, at NRA, uh, he bought a, made a nice donation, got a bunch of tickets, um, ended up winning a, a, a nice custom knife, and, and we stayed in touch. He has spent a lot of money with custom knife makers 
he now goes to the Blade Show. I mean, he goes to USN Gathering. Um, he's gotten into knives. And here's someone who literally didn't even know that custom knife making existed. So, you know, that's that's another great feeling that we're expanding the universe of people who have an interest in what goes goes on here. I mean, we've had a lot of people get involved uh, because of promotion by our industry partners on their websites, on their Facebook, on their Instagram, who discover when they come to actually see what this ultimate steel thing is all about that, oh my God, look at those custom knives. You know, and the fact of the matter is there are lots of makers out there producing, including the ones I'm talking to here, affordable custom knives that are just a really nice knife that you can afford and for the price of, you know, a production knife almost. So we're proselytizing, if you will, uh, for custom makers as well as everything else that we do. One hand washes the other. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, all this money. Uh, where does uh, where does all that go? Uh, you mentioned a little bit that it costs a lot to to get a lot of these bills. You expand on that a little bit. Sure. Um, our biggest expenses are uh, we have our lobbyists obviously gets paid. Um, our next biggest expense, or our actually, I think our biggest single expense is travel. Mm-hmm. You know, for him and myself. We often, it is not unusual for a coach ticket to cost, round trip ticket to cost close to $1,000 for us because we don't hear about, we, we, we aren't advised that there's a hearing until sometimes literally the day before. Yeah, and I'm sure they do that on purpose too. Well, you know, it's politics and it's the way it works. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is that... Uh, it costs us a lot to travel. When you make last minute reservations for airlines and you make last minute reservations for hotel rooms, um, and you know, it, it is not inexpensive. Those are our two biggest expenses. Yeah. You know, as I say, Sue and I don't take a salary or anything. That's that's our, our, that's where the money goes. The money goes to actually getting things done. And then, you know, we have expenses, attorneys who review bills we've written, uh, attorneys that help us write uh, amicus briefs, attorneys that we work with on other litigation. Um, You know, it's, I guess the best way to put it is uh, we we don't spend any money that we don't have to spend. uh, If for no other reason that we don't have any spare money to spend (laughs) on things. Now, every every knife that's donated, every penny that's donated goes towards getting things done. You know, when we started this uh, 15 years ago and I said, this is what we're going to do. And everyone laughed or, you know, patted me on the back and, you know, nice Doug, yeah. nice Doug. <laughs> sure you will. Um, you know, it was an act of faith for people to donate to us. Um, now we have a track record. Yeah. Now we've proved that we can do it. And yeah, um, the first few years that we were busy at the state level, um, it was, uh, it was low hanging fruit, so to speak. Um, but we've 
since proved that we can do it in states where it isn't easy, where it takes multiple years, and where people say, oh, you're never going to be able to carry a switchblade in Illinois. Uh, yep. If you can but win in New York or California, you can win anywhere. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the, the the advantage we have as we continue to go state to state is there's fewer and fewer states with uh, outright restrictions. Uh, right now, there's only six states that outright ban switchblades, period, end of story. Um, and that's 16 less than when we started. Um, so it's it's harder for them to uh, rationalize their ban, and it's easier for us to get support when we go, uh, you know, all the states around you, they're legal. So, yeah, you know, they're all uh, making fun of you, right? <laughs> uh, I'm good with that as long as we get stuff done. No, I meant to telling the others, you know, you know, all the other states are making fun of you because you're silly. Oh, man. well. Um, you know, it's just that they know that their residents are going across the state line and buying these evil knives, and it, it just makes it easier. The, the more states that we are successful in, the relatively easier it gets to be in the states that are really, really difficult. You know, will we ever get to 50 states? I hope so. Uh, I don't think it's not going to happen tomorrow, but I'm not planning on retiring anytime soon. Well, um, our justice system um, deals with precedent. And every time you win a case, that's just more and more precedent for the next one. That's true, too. Um, and and that's one of the reasons that we're involved in, as uh, Miki, in a number of uh, Second Amendment cases. Because, you know, ultimately, some of these cases are going to come down to it. They have in a number of states uh, where knives have been found to be covered by the Second Amendment. And, you know, it, we don't win everything we do. Um, and, you know, I, I wish we had the money to defend everybody who's arrested inappropriately for carrying a knife, but we don't. But we try to, to pick cases that will have an impact um, that will make a big difference that will set a precedent um and we've done pretty good at that yeah you guys have done a lot uh one of the one of the ones that you mentioned in the first show that i was pretty surprised about was you said it was actually illegal in texas to carry a bowie knife and you kind of think of what what knife is more iconic in texas than the bowie knife but you guys helped uh get that pulled back too yeah uh we did that and we actually um were able to present Governor Abbott with a, uh, a custom buoy, uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, Jason Fry put it together. Uh, that, that was that was great. We've done a number of uh, presentations to governors or bill signings with governors. That was supposed to be uh, you show up, you present the knife, and you leave. Um, Governor Abbott was thrilled to meet Jason Fry. He was thrilled about this bill. That five-minute meeting ended up lasting almost a half an hour. Oh. And um, and he was enthusiastic that we were making Texas more like everyone thinks Texas is. 
And and that's a great feeling. I mean, we've had some some wonderful uh, interactions with governors. Um, governor Walker, who is uh, governor of Wisconsin, when we straightened out, basically got rid of all their illegal knives and passed knife law preemption. And we presented him with a really nice uh, auto, all engraved. And he he was just he was just a very real person and very enthusiastic about what we accomplished and appreciative of what we'd done. And, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with people at that level and they actually appreciate what you're doing for their constituents, that's a great feeling. Yep. Um, so being the materialistic prick that I am, um, I love the concept of what you're doing, but let's talk about what I can get. Um, the, the tail end raffle, what are some of the more interesting things that are still available? So, so you have to understand the tail end is a separate waffle yeah. from the main drawing. Yeah. It, it doesn't so have the chocolate chips. It doesn't, it doesn't have the whipped cream on the top, but it's still a, a, a delicious right. so, waffle. So, so we, we have literally just launched it right now. There's a bunch of production knives there, some, Really nice production knives. Uh, there, there, you know, the, there are some makers who have committed to knives to us that they're going to deliver over the next um, six or eight weeks. Uh, that will be part of that. Um, I can't really talk about them because until they actually, you know, until a knife maker actually delivers a knife in my hand. <laughs> um, yes. Are you saying that uh, knife makers have some punctuality issues? Sure, uh, surely I would not. never, never <laughs> accuse knife makers of having punctuality issues. But, you know, it ain't real until you've got it in your hands. Uh, but I expect that uh, before we're done, there will be another $20,000 worth of prizes in the tail end. So we draw the tail end first. So the people who donated from this point on, you know, they get they get their choice of of as they're drawn of what's in the tail end. But those tickets are also thrown in, back in, metaphorically, because it's now all done digitally, into the main drawing. So just because you win something in the tail end doesn't mean you can't win something in the main drawing. And we've had a number of people who've accomplished that, both in the early bird in the past and in the tail end in the past. They win something in both. And how does one get the opportunity? To win in both the tail end and the main waffle you go to uh knifewrites.org and click on the ultimate steal and make a donation if if you're a maker listening we could really use your help drop me an email uh there's a link on the knife rights website obviously or just send an email to dritter at knifewrites.org uh, we'd love your support. We build you a page. We link to your social media and online presence. Um, we give you a membership in Knife Rights. And it's really good exposure. Uh, over the course of the Ultimate Steel, we get over quarter million unique individuals who check it out. I wish they all donated. Not all of them do, obviously. Uh, but um, it's it's pretty good exposure for a maker. And you're donating to something who's protecting your right to make these cool tools that you produce. Yeah, you, you might be too much of a gentleman to really lay it out there for these guys, but look, <laughs> <laughs> do, 
Doug and his crew are out there fighting to change the laws so you can do business. Mm -hmm. Regardless of whether or not you're paying, they've got the decency to go out there and fight the good fight so you can earn a living. I've, I've donated in years past, and I always tell Doug, it's not a donation, it's an investment. I am investing in my own career. Doug's out there getting the laws changed, protecting the, law, the good laws that are there. That, that's an investment in my company. That, that's the equivalent of, I'm usually good with analogies. Um, <laughs> oh, this is sounding really good. You, yeah. you could keep up. I, I was on I, a roll. I, that's the equivalent of, of life jacket companies supporting the Coast Guard. Yeah, no, that one sucks. Hang on. Give me a second. Well, while you're thinking about it, I'll mention, you know, we don't only get bad laws repealed. We help prevent bad laws from being passed. I mean, a perfect example was in Texas this year, where as a result of a tragic murder, uh, there was a bill introduced that would have required in any retail setting, including knife shows, for all the knives on display to be locked up, <laughs> not just under glass, locked up. Hmm. That would have been terrible, yeah. terrible for retailers, terrible for knife makers. Um, we were an important element of getting that law to die in committee. That would have made a knife show the most miserable thing I ever did. One moment, please. Let me unlock this blade. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it would have been terrible. And, you know, there's a number of good size knife shows in Texas. And, you know, I was pleased that we were able to get that accomplished. Uh, I wasn't pleased that we didn't get our bill passed in Texas this year that we wanted to get passed, which would have cleaned up some odds and ends left over from prior legislation. Um, But I was very pleased that we were a big part of killing that bill. And, that was terrible. I mean, we've killed bills. You know, in Nevada, they wanted to make any knife over two inches with a blade over two inches long a dangerous weapon in statute, wow. which would have been terrible. Yeah. Um, we've defeated efforts to reinst- to 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 pass restrictions on blade lengths and that sort of stuff. The majority of what we do is get rid of bad laws, repealing bad laws. But uh, at this point, I think we're up. Uh, seven or eight knife bills um, that we've successfully killed in, I think, six states. So, I mean, we're there on both sides of the coin. We're protecting you as well as helping to get rid of bad laws. In the 35 episodes between your first appearance here on The Knife Perspective and today, we have come up with something, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but we call it a format. And it's some standardized questions that we ask all of our makers and designers. Okay. And, and, and since you dodged, dodged it on the fifth episode, we're here prepared with our new and improved format. Oh, gosh. Okay. In deference, Fire away. In deference to your age, we're going to start off with something simple. Let's go with that. Uh, I'm not as old as Ethan. <laughs> okay, so you weren't there when the first load of dirt was delivered. Right. All right. Um, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I was born in 
uh, Brooklyn, New York. We moved out to Tucson when I was 364 days old. Um, I spent, you know, I, I grew up in Tucson. Uh, most, most of my growing up was on a ranch out on the east side of town, you know, horses and all that kind of stuff. That's super cool. I think I got my first knife when I was pocket knife when I was seven, pretty sure. Um, it's probably the only knife I haven't lost. <laughs> How I managed that, I don't know, but I still have it. It was a, a, a craftsman's, it, it still is a craftsman's stockman. Nice. Nice. Very cool. What, like a, a three inch upswept blade? No, it's, it's, it's got three blades, uh, two, one, two, Spear points and a, a no, let's see, a clip, a small spear point, and uh, I don't even remember, but yeah, three bladed stockman. It was it was a long time ago. We'll we'll catch you. Some time. Yeah, I, and I haven't looked. I I literally have not looked at it in years. So give me a break. So when you said Craftsman, that's the the tool company that made that, or was it? Yeah, no? yeah, it was. You know, we were in Sears, and my my. my mother said you know about time you carried a knife okay uh i was seven years old uh, the, welcome to manhood my son the only the only yeah. craftsman knives i'm familiar with is the box cutters or the, the kind of janky like folding box cutters yeah. and stuff so i mean i'm sure one of the you know camillus or somebody like that who did who did you know house knives did did it for them you know i mean it, oh you got to remember you could there was a time you could literally buy a house from I know. You can go That's in the true. Sears catalog and buy a, a craftsman style house. Yeah, uh, delivered a Kia stuff. In my in my hometown, they actually had uh, twelve of them. Uh, the steel houses that um, were apparently some of the the least are still pretty rare, and a lot quite a few of them got marked as like national landmarks so that they they can't be torn down. But yeah, it was all steel panels and stuff. And one of my buddies lived in one of them, and. It was crazy. You'd like knock on the wall and it was like ding, ding, ding. <laughs> they shoot the nerf, nerf darts and it sticks right to the wall. It was awesome. So I know, so, I know that you've heard, listened to at least one episode since yours. So you know to expect the Dan Kyle scale. On how did you meet your wife? So I'll try to make a long story short. Um, Take your time. Kyle's editing this one. So just stretch it out as far as you want. So uh, Sue was going to school out of state, uh, as was a very good friend of, turns out to have been a mutual friend of ours, even though uh, we, we had both gone to the same high school as freshmen and then my school split off. Um, I never knew Sue um, and she, she knew who I was because I was involved in a bunch of stuff as a, a, a in high school, but we had never met, but we had a bunch of the same friends, just had never met in high school. Um, anyway, Skip was one of these mutual friends and he was going to the same out-of-state school that Sue was. They came down uh, over Christmas vacation. Skip brought her by. I was working on the cars late one night. He brought her by. It's like, hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, I heard about, I heard your name. And, you know, there, there was... There was nothing there, nothing at all. Um, you hadn't turned on the old Doug Ritter charm yet. Uh, no, I mean, it's just there was there was no chemistry going on. Um, so Sue went back to school 
her her student loan got all screwed up and basically there was she couldn't pay for the next semester so this was about a month later or month and a half later six to eight weeks something like that skip moved her back down to tucson over one of the long weekends between sessions and he came by with her we went to caruso's a little italian place for dinner uh the three of us uh we we ditched skip uh and she moved in two weeks later so i don't know where that is on your scale (laughs) but that was 47 years ago that's pretty solid middle ground i mean it it's a nice, healthy, same in town kind of thing, but you know, it, it also had to uh, ditch skip and move her in in two weeks. I mean, that, that's a pretty bold move. Yeah. Well, I guess boldness it does me. What can I tell you? <laughs> when you make a decision, you go after it. Yep. Good theme. Cool. Uh, what was what's one of your favorite knives you've you've gotten or have seen throughout the years? Oh wow. <sighs> You know that that is a hard one. Um, you know, so we'll make it simple for you. Boy. Echo Five or the Dogwood Kitchen Knife? Which which was your favorite? <laughs> uh, you know, you make some nice knives, Dad. <laughs> but I haven't been around that um, long, have I? You know, when you talk about favorite knives, it's like, okay, are we talking about the favorite that you actually use? Are we talking about the favorite that you've ever seen? Um, you do want to be one of knife that gives you joy. So I'll, let me tell you about the first really good knife I ever got, because that was really the the start of of it. That's a critical uh, moment. Yeah, I I had I had uh, you know I'd had production knives, Benchmade, Spiderco, relatively inexpensive. As you guys may know, and some may have heard of, I had an uh, organization called Equip to Survive, which is still out there. The, the website uh, Equip.org is is pretty inactive these days because I don't have time for it. But it was sort of consumer for 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 survival gear and as a result of that knives being an important part of survival gear uh i had gotten to know most of the manufacturers uh going to shot show and elsewhere and i i I always wanted a chris reeves sabenza and couldn't afford it and i you know it, it was just out of my price range and and back then i was working out of the house and i would Go out to lunch every day. Uh, to little couple, there are a couple little places, cafes, if you will, that were near the house. And I decided I was going to save my pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters, uh, and get myself a Chris Reeve Sabenza. Um, and over the course of a year and a half, I saved up the money. And then I got to talking with Chris and. And, and and it was like, you know, if, if I'm going to do this, I want to do something special. And, you know, you guys are doing these unique graphics, which was pretty early 
uh, and when they started doing that. I think that's cool. Did you take my Knife Rights logo and, and, and do that? And Chris scratches his head and, you know, says, I think we can. It's, and they did. And uh, that, was, that was the first time they had done something like that. And then we ended up doing a series of them. I think we sold maybe a dozen of them over the course of a few years. Um, but that was a pivotal moment for me. That was when I moved from knives as simply a utilitarian tool to knives as a tool that was crafted, if you will. That's when you became an aficionado. I guess. And that's also, I think, when I decided that I needed to design a knife that had the attributes that I wanted, but that people could afford, you know, so that was, yeah, that was pivotal in a lot of ways. It was like, here's this really great knife, but most people aren't going to be able to afford this, Mm -hmm. but they deserve to have a better knife. And, you know, there are a lot of knife maker, knife making companies out there that I had a lot of respect for that I had good relations with, but people would ask me for a recommendation. And it's like, there was always a, but at the end of the recommendation. Um, this kind of leads us to then what's your favorite knife that you've designed? Well, I, I guess it would be the first one, which is the RSK Mark one, which is now in its second generation with Hoke. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it's hard for folks who came into this thing, into the knife thing recently to recognize, but what, I tried for years to convince Les Deasis of Benchmade. Uh, they had come out with the Grutillion, which was uh, you know, a plastic handled knife that proved a mainstay for the company. Uh, and uh, I, I visualized this knife with what was then the high-tech steel um, uh, S30V. Uh, with a blade that was, you know, credit to Chris Reeve, uh, somewhat reminiscent of the blade on the Cementa, um, though with a flat grind. Anyway, I I drew this up, and Les and I, who had originally met on CompuServe online, actually, many years before, um, and, and it basically said, nobody is going to buy a plastic-handled knife with high-end steel I don't care if you think it's going to be a great value. It's just nobody's going to buy that. No, nobody gives a shit about a good blade at a reasonable price. So, so he, uh, I, I couldn't interest him in making it. I loved the access lock. I mean, the access lock to me was one of those forehead slapping moments. Oh my God. That's just so cool. Yep. And why didn't I think of that? But that's <laughs> beside the point. Um, so, so, uh, this went on for a number of years, and, and I and Mel Perdue became pretty good friends. And it, it just wasn't happening. And then I was talking to uh, a, a friend of, of Sue and mine who had recently started an online business. Um, and he was like, well, if you can get them to make the knives, I'll buy them and we'll sell them. 
And so I went back to Benchmade and said, uh, how about if we'll buy the knives? You don't have any risk. We'll, you know, tell us what it'll cost to buy a couple hundred of these. You know, all you got to do different is make the blades because, you know, you're already doing blades in S30V. So that's not an unknown to you. The handles are exactly the same. We're not changing any of that or the lock. And it's like, okay. Um, and that's really what launched me into designing knives. And I mean, that that knife remains popular, that knife with Hogue uh, now in uh, M3 or uh, 20CV. Uh, CPM 20 CV uh, with G10 handles, you know, still for $159 is a hell of a bargain. Yep. yep. I got, and, I got one of them. And, well, cool. <laughs> and, 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 and nowadays everybody is making knives with high end steels that are good values some, uh, many times with what might be considered lower end handles materials, yeah. uh, whether they're molded plastic or, and, 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 yeah, so we, we started a trend. We proved that a good high-end blade in a functional handle was a, was a value that people could get it excited about. Yeah, I love the... So I feel sort of, that's sort of cool yeah. that, that we started a trend that everybody told me would not sell. So, yeah, I'd have to say my Mark, mark one. Yeah, when, I, when Benchmade stopped making them and there was kind of that period in between there... I was looking for a lot of them like on the secondary market and stuff and you, they just didn't come up for that weren't ridiculous prices. And then uh, I was really glad to see when Hogue picked it up and then with the G10 handle and stuff, I really love that starburst pattern and stuff on there. Thank you. I mean, um, look, all, Les was great. We, we did very well together. You know, I'm not going to talk about how it all ended, but I am, I am thrilled with the partnership with Hogue. They are building a much higher quality knife. Um, they are a pleasure to work with. Um, you know, we just recently reintroduced our fixed blade, uh, the RSK Mark III G2, um, which is, you know, we're just starting to get that out there. We've just gotten a couple really good YouTube reviews and, and um, it's being really well received, which is great come out with some new handle material on the uh, on the mark one and the mini mark one and and you know uh blue ridge knives just produced a run of my uh, rsk mark five that crkt used to produce and then discontinued uh when it's run its life and and those are doing pretty well too that you know little altoids did knife little neck knife yeah um, beat those I'm, I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah, for under fifteen dollars. Yeah. How many patterns do you have out right now? So right now, in production, it's the Mark One G Two, the Mini Mark One G Two, the Mark Three G Two, and the Mark Five. Uh, All together, it was the RSK Mark Two. That was the collaboration with Ethan Becker. There was the RSK Mark IV, which was the Paul knife, uh, which I see going for unbelievable amounts of money these days when they show up on eBay. It's like staggering, uh, you know, four or $500. Uh, we used to call it the Glitter Ritter because uh, it had silver twill G10 scales. Um, 
the Mark VI, which was a uh, deck knife that CRKT also did. Uh, both of those, both the Mark V and the uh, and the Mark VI were a collaboration with David White, who's a custom maker. Um, took some ideas he had and refined them and came up with you know some really nice fun blades. Uh, very effective, very functional. And that's basically it. I mean, there've been some other knives drawn up that haven't made it into production and may never make it into production. But um, yeah, I'm really, really happy with the knives that Hogue is producing these days. I mean, there are, for a production knife, they're about as close to a customer as you can get. So you said you really liked using high-end steels in your in your knives. What are What's some of your favorite high-end steels right now? Well, obviously, we start off with M390, moved over to the American-made uh, 20CV. Um, I like that. For our fixed blade, uh, for the Mark III, we're using uh, S45VN, uh, which is a little tougher than uh, 20CV, which seems seems like a better fit for a, uh, for a fixed blade with a four and a half inch blade versus the folders, which are 2.9 and 3.4. Um, yeah, those are really, really good all around high end steels that keep an edge that have enough toughness. You know, there's, I just posted, a uh, uh, reposted an Instagram piece from one of, uh, one of my fans who has a mark one and is just stabbing a pallet of a, a, a wood pallet with it breaking pieces off and it's like these 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 dives those that steel is tough it will stand up to abuse it holds its edge i have uh, you know a, a lot of folks take my knives on hunting trips and and write me about how I can't believe I got through the whole hunting trip and I used it to skin the deer or the boar and my friends used it to skin the boar and we still didn't need to sharpen it. Um, yeah, it's all you know. They're 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 two extremes. You can have a high carbon conventional steel that you can sharpen on a stone in the woods, or you can have a high end steel like twenty uh, CV or S45 EN that doesn't get dull. You know, uh, since my assumption is the vast majority of people that buy my knives are not knife fanatics and could barely sharpen a knife, would they have the right part, you know, right equipment? Um, having a knife that'll last a long time is hold the edge uh, is a lot to me. And, you know, we're, we're looking at some new steels for, for, for the future but you know right now i'm really happy with what what we've got and you know it, it it was like i was explaining to a gentleman about you know who who was confused that my fixed blade costs more than the folder and the folder has a lot more parts to it it's like look this is a chunk of s45 vn a chunk. Every operation involved with it takes longer than a folder because it's bigger. You know, it's got bigger hand. I mean, it all adds up. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, we're not getting rich on this stuff. 
but you do have to make your margins. And if it costs more to build, it costs more to sell. Um, you think that's where the industry is head, headed, the new super steels? You think we're going to be looking at new handle materials? What, what do you think? Where do you think the industry's headed? Same where it's been headed for a couple decades. There's always going to be new, greater steels, new handle materials, um, and there will always be the old reliables. And, you know, as new steels come out, they, you know, they always cost more in the beginning. I mean, they always cost more in the beginning. It's the nature of the beast. And older steels, they're still super steels, you know, become more affordable. And they move down the line until you know, we're at the point where, you know, CPM 154, 150 or CM is sort of like a base steel. And I can remember when that was the greatest. Oh, yeah. When that was such a huge step from, you know, 440C that everyone was excited about this. You know, ATS 36, you know, CPM 154. It's a process. It's an evolution that's always happened, at least in the last few decades. And it's going to continue to happen. That's one of one of the things I love about the knife industry and knife making and and people involved is they're always pushing the boundaries. They're always coming out with new stuff. Um, yeah, you got your old reliables, uh, which at this point, you know, my Mark One and like you know been on the market since two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven. It's been around for a long time and it continues to sell because of its attributes. But, you know, big companies, if they don't introduce new product every year, you know, they're going to go out of business. I don't care whether you're Spyderco or Benchmade or, or, or anybody, um, Case even. You got you to gotta be introducing new product and the new product has to, offer something, this innovative design, innovative materials, something to garner the attention of what is a huge and very crowded marketplace. I mean, there are a lot more production knife companies today than there were even 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. And as machining gets cheaper, that's just going to accelerate. Yep. There's a good yeah. Good for the buyer, though. Yeah, it's always crazy to see some of the going to the trade shows and stuff, the the new machines and stuff. The water jets used to be the the top dog, and now lasers are uh, way faster and getting much more reasonable in price to to make a lot of these things happen. Well, you know, it used to be if you wanted to have a laser to engrave you know, your logo, you were going to spend twenty five or thirty thousand yeah. dollars easily. Now you can buy them for less than five in some some spots. Yeah. So I mean that is that is also a natural evolution. You know, I'm I'm excited about the industry. I'm excited about uh where we're going in terms of legalization of knives, uh, with our efforts. Uh look, this this has been an extraordinary, you know, the COVID has been terrible for a lot of people. And it's given knife makers, uh, particularly particularly in the production side of things, enormous headaches. 
but there are more people buying knives today and higher end knives than have ever been in the market uh, when you, at the production side of things. I mean, your, your typical production maker is, is got back orders that extend months. Um, yeah. You know, they can't make them fast enough. Uh, people sat at home and ordered yeah, knives. That's good. And uh, if some people were wanting to find uh, where to buy some of your knives, where, where might they, you point them? So the, the folders and my, and my Mark three fixed blade are exclusive with knifeworks.com. Mark five is available at, you know, pretty much all the major knife retailers. And, uh, you know, it's, KnifeWorks has been uh, a really good partner for us. They've been great at customer service. Uh, you know, the combination of them and Hogue has really worked well for, for, for yeah. me. And it's always good to hear about stuff like that. Do you have anything else you want to uh, tell the tell the listeners about? You know, I, I think we've covered the gamut. Um, I hope your I hope your makers listening will will think about making a donation uh for our tail end uh please email us uh if you're not a maker please go to kniferights.org uh click on the ultimate steel and and make a donation get a chance to uh win some of these incredible works of art or very nice utilitarian knives that folks like you have donated um even if you I are can't, a maker you can go on and you can donate knives and buy tickets um, and, and, uh, a number of makers have done very well that way. Uh, one of our engravers, uh, who has donated a lot of engraving on some of the fancier knives, um, uh, one, a uh, one and selected a $4,000 knife. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, it works both ways. Uh, but I do, I, I need the knives to get people to invest in us, uh, to, to make the donation. So they get a chance to win these cool prizes. Um, because as, as I said, you know, we could have all the passion in the world. If we don't have the money to travel, to lobby, to hire the attorneys, um, the passion won't do it. You gotta, you gotta show up at the state house. You gotta show up in the courtroom. Uh, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. And we've demonstrated if y'all aren't doing it, nobody else is. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell the tell the listeners how to how to find you and the website and Instagram and stuff? Uh, sure. So, uh, inst- Instagram it's Doug Ritter Gear. Uh, my website is DougRitter.com. Knife Rights is KnifeRights.com. Knife Rights on Instagram. Knife Rights on Facebook. Pretty easy. My name or or Knife Rights. Awesome. Uh, you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at knife perspective, and you can pretty much find the podcast on any podcasting platform. Uh, you can even ask Amazon, uh, Alexa to say, uh, play the knife perspective and she'll, she'll start playing you an episode. So that was pretty cool when, uh, I did that the other day. And you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. He's dogwoodcustomknives.com. Uh, and Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram, and make sure you send them emails at dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And then me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives. You can get in touch with me at cagedailyknives.com and Cage Daily Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, 
get the those sanding sticks. Uh, the sanding buddies have been selling really well. Got lots of good feedback with those at uh, at Blade Show. So definitely make sure you check out some of those. They've made uh, made my hand sanding a lot easier, and I think Dan even had some some good experience with using one. Very good, especially uh, when I'm working with the S35VN. Yeah. Yeah, that it's amazing that little rubber pad and having them contour your hands a little bit makes makes it uh, suck less. Is what one of my one of the the knife makers that uh, messaged me. Uh, he uh, that's both honest and true. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, uh, you mean it's not all glamour and no, it's 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 wonderful, Doug, all the time." <laughs> hey. The- Two, two, three hours out of the day, it is not martinis and supermodels. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the day, though, it's all martinis and supermodels. Yeah. I, c- I can probably get the martinis, but I probably definitely can't get the supermodels. <laughs> uh, not going there, guys. Alrighty. Well, uh, and that's how you stay married for 40 plus yeah. years. There you Alrighty. go. Uh, thanks, Doug. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, My pleasure. Happy to be here. Want to say good night, Dan? Good night, Dan. Well, let's take it to the edge, cause that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk.